Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Stars of PR. Today, we are going to talk about um, a number of elements of public speaking, and we are going to learn what CLE credits are. And I have a guest with me today, and her name is Faith Pincus. And Faith is from Pincus Professional Education. And... Um, Faith, it looks like you are a practicing attorney as well. Am I right? Uh, yeah, I actually I used to be. I stopped practicing a few years ago. Well, congratulations and welcome to the other world. I know. <laughs> we call it <laughs> must ourselves. be a great, a great relief because I work in the world of law a lot, uh-huh. and I've watched many um, attorneys transition into other things, and they a lot of times they just seem so much happier. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> So, um, and it seems like you do some really, really wonderful things. I know that Todd Moster spoke the world of you, and I couldn't wait to have you on my show. Well, thank you. I'm You're glad very, to be very here. welcome. Very welcome. I um, I know that um, you have a lot of tips for our listeners today about public speaking, and um, I think that's fantastic. We've had shows about public speaking before, and everybody always has some great tips that everybody always you know, um, inboxes me and tells me that they've learned new things all the time. But one of the things that you do when your practice does that gives added value or is added value to um, public speaking presentation coaching is the fact that you, um, your company does a lot of CLE credit stuff. Am I right? Yes. Okay. Why don't you explain what that is? Because I've never discussed that on this show before, and we've been on the air for seven years, so it's a really new subject for my business-to-business professionals who um, might be listening, and a lot of people obviously have to know what it is in order to keep their licenses updated. (laughs) But a lot of people who, you know, who are just outside of that professional industry um, might not be aware of what the require, education requirements are in order to continue practicing when you're a lawyer, um, you know, sometimes an accountant or whatever the industry standards, you know, might dictate for a certain profession. So why don't you talk a little bit about CLE? Sure. Um, CLE stands for Continuing Legal Education, and most professionals that are licensed by whatever state agency that licenses them requires it to maintain your license, and it's usually an annual or sometimes by or every three years uh, you have to comply with the requirements. Uh, almost every state in the country, there's a handful of states that haven't done it yet, require it for attorneys. In California, you're required about 
25 units over the course of three years. So, and accountants, doctors, etc. What other professionals might want to know about this is that if their clients are lawyers, speaking at a continuing legal education program is often an effective way to network, meet people, and uh, form relationships and ultimately bring in new clients and new business. And we do about 60 programs a year in three states right now, so we, we stay pretty busy. But most of our programs, everybody does continuing legal education different. It, sometimes it's put on by bar associations. Sometimes it's put on by private providers like our company where, you know, we're not a nonprofit. And sometimes it's put on by law firms or by, say, a doctor's um, co-op or whatever or a hospital to educate a group of lawyers on a specific topic. And who, depending on who organizes it you and who the audience is, which type of attorneys are coming to the particular program, that might interest uh, non-lawyers as far as speaking is concerned. And as far as lawyers are concerned, obviously, they want to go for several reasons. One, to keep up their requirements. But most importantly, frankly, is um, competent professionals and active professionals want to attend CLE programs to stay up to date on the law and the skills and the techniques they need to be at their best. Right, but they're, they're great networking opportunities, yes. too. Absolutely. They're a fantastic networking opportunity, whether you're speaking or attending, especially if you're speaking and especially if you use it right. When you're speaking and you want to network, uh, when you're speaking either at a CLE or at any co- in any context and you're, one of your goals is to network and to bring in new business, one of the top tips I can give you is that you should show up at least a half an hour early, if not, say it's a conference the night before, and, net, and start networking and talking to the attendees and introducing yourself and asking them why they're there and chit-chatting with them and getting as much information as you can for two reasons. One, you warm up the audience way in advance, and they think that you're you know, nice and you're, you break down that ice between the speaker and the audience, the barrier. And two, all of a sudden you have a one-on-one relationship now with members of the audience who will likely afterwards give you their card or before, and you can follow that up, and so you're more likely to build relationships that way than just speaking on a platform to a group of people that you haven't had one-on-one contact with. And, of course, in these days and in this age, it's, um, you could extend these networking opportunities by you know, linking together on social media platforms like LinkedIn, et cetera, and continue the relationship very actively and virtually. Yes, absolutely. Almost every time I speak at a big conference, I get a bunch of, you know, requests to link in. I get referrals. I um, interact. Sometimes it may take two years before I get an actual paid speaking engagement out of it uh, because it takes a while with the referral to network and meet and have lunch, et cetera. And then you'll tweet about it. There have been a couple times when I've spoken for example, for the Legal Marketing Association, I spoke, to, I, I spoke uh, about three or four months ago for a group called LexBlog, and they're the premier group of providing a platform for blogging for lawyers. And I spoke about public speaking for business development. And it turned out, and I didn't even know this, but one of the main people there uh, who was listening was involved in the Legal Marketing Association. And she, while she was listening to me for that hour, blog, uh, tweeted, tweeted <laughs> not blog, she tweeted about the presentation. She tweeted it, it almost so well it was practically like a transcript. And she used hashtags so people followed along, and then she blogged about it afterwards. And I made quite a few contacts uh, because she did that about my speech. No, I, it's, that's pretty amazing. I wanted to thank you, too. I know that you had... Talked about it through your talked about being on this show through your blog because mm-hmm. we have tools like Google Analytics. So of course I have Cindy Rakowitz 
listed as one of the things that pop up in my many, many, many things that pop up, and I saw that you gave the show a nice promo, so we thank you for that. You're welcome. Yes, it's, and that's something that any speaker should always do, and they should focus on who's interviewing them or where they're speaking more so than their own presentation or a little bit of both. But we, we did that. I tweeted about it just before I got online, and then we posted it on our Facebook page as well. And then I'll blog about it afterwards. See, those are the basics of marketing. Yep. Your, <laughs> you know, your speaking platform. And I know that we're going to go into the basics of, you know, um, Faith Pincus' approach to public speaking, and I'm very, very excited to talk about that. Um, one of the other questions that, you know, I had about CLE is, you know, how it differs in terms of regulation from state to state. And we had talked a little bit about it in email, but it's, you know, it's interesting because you did say that it varies in terms yeah. of requirements. Yeah, and it's actually somewhat controversial both among attorneys and among uh, bar associations and providers like myself because there is absolutely no standard format. I mean, every single state is up to its own. So some states like New York require that at least one attorney be speaking on the panel. Some, uh, and some states like Illinois require that the provider submit the names for the lawyers to get credit, where in, in California it's all the honor system. You show up, you then submit your, uh, you just file an affidavit saying, yeah, I, you know, I did it all, and the bar trusts you to be correct, and they every single year audit people to see if they did. And so and as a provider, we have to keep records, attorneys have to keep records, and every state's different as far as the number of requirements. In California, you've got 25 units in three years you have to meet. In Washington State, it's 25 or 30 units in two years. Uh, Illinois, I can't remember how many is, but they require six units of ethics, and every state requires, in addition to generic units, they require special units regarding ethics, bias, substance abuse, things along those lines, and those all vary as far as how many and if they require it. So what happens is a lot of attorneys who practice multi-state, have a multi-state practice, get very frustrated when they're trying to meet their requirements because it's different everywhere and not every state is reciprocal. So some states will accept anything if it's a licensed provider like me in, in California, and some states you have to listen or watch or go to our program and then submit a request to states that we're not approved in and get approved. We always get approved, but it's a hassle for the, uh, for the attorneys and for the providers, frankly. And then there's no... Some states have a bigger quality control component over the program, and some states have less quality. They certify you, and you, just, you guarantee that you're going to meet their minimum requirements for quality education based on their rules. And some states review every single program. It just really depends on what you're doing. You know, it's interesting. And for people that do business from state to state, Faith, in a number of different areas, you know, you see how blue laws, et cetera, affect things so differently. Sometimes it's interesting when you look at the state laws and how they vary. It's almost sometimes can be as different as different countries. So it, that's why I wanted to talk about this for a second because for those of us that work, you know, with clients and accounts that are international but intranational as well, you'd be surprised at how many things are different. Um, I've, I've worked with, you know, distilled spirits accounts, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a majority of my career. And, you know, the blue laws in terms of what's okay in terms of 
liquor at special events. Not right. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's it's very 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 different from state to state, and um, it's an interesting. It's very interesting to me, and of course we see that with criminal law too. You know, we all watched you know the big recent trial with Casey Anthony and all that kind of stuff, and you know, looking at Florida laws as opposed to you know. Texas or California or New York law. So, you know, it makes sense and it's um, it's interesting. People might take for granted that things might be the same in the United States, but it certainly isn't. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, well, I thank you for um, for humoring us and addressing some of the things about CLE. I know that our programming people at... Um, you know, Voice America were very, very, very interested in that subject. Is there anything else that you want to add to that? Uh, well, I can say that there's a movement afoot between the American Bar Association and um, there's the American Continuing Legal Association, Legal Education Association, ACLEA, basically A-C-L-E-A, uh, between the Bar Association and members of ACLEA to try and standardize continuing legal education requirements throughout the entire country. And so they formed a committee, and, and they talked about the future of legal education both in law school and what we're interested in is education after you become a lawyer. So they've been working on that for about two years now, trying to coordinate and submit some recommendations. And there's also a big controversy because a lot of people don't want the, bar, the American Bar Association to regulate, regulate that. Not everybody is a member of the American Bar Association, not every attorney. It's a voluntary association. And there's a lot of... You know, there's always been the, the, the argument, and the reason why we are all so different is there's states' rights versus, you know, who wants the federal government controlling everything. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, well, I mean, I think that's a very, it, it, it is a reflection of our country, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, so but there, they are, there's a group talking about standardizing it, or at least putting forth ideas about how every bar association in every state can at least adopt certain, you know, formats. No, and I and I and I think that when it comes to education, I, I can understand things being different for a lot of other different categories. But when it comes to education, I you know, I, and I'm just speaking as a layman here, and it's a personal opinion. I think that it would make sense to perhaps make it more standardized and maybe ensure that some of the CLE programs can be up to the same standards as others. That's all. Right. I actually agree with you. I'm on that side of it. I mean, we put on really high-quality programs, and I think, and frankly, it would make our lives easier if every state did at least some things the same because it's an expense. It increases the business expense end of things by making it different in every single state. It makes it confusing for lawyers, for our customers. So, And I think just generally speaking, it makes sense that all states for all lawyers require a certain level and standard and unit number uh, to make sure everybody's on the same page and that there's certain quality is there. I think that's right, Faith. Well, we have to take a commercial break, and this is your first segment. I, I always tell everybody it goes fast, so stand by and don't go away, and more about public speaking when we come back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At BR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. BR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn sales into profitability with the help of BR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.brpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. BR Public Relations. We do it all. www.brpublicrelations.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Pop icon! Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. We're back and we're talking about public speaking now with Faith Pincus. And we are, for the rest of the show, going to talk about some speaking tips that Faith likes to share from Pincus Professional Education. Um, Faith, before we go on, um, you have. You mentioned something on your website called Fins Advanced Tapes. What is that? Oh, Fins Advanced Tapes is uh, actually a company I bought about a year and a half ago, and that's related to continuing legal education and live case updates. And basically, we provide monthly audio case updates of the latest, most important legal cases in California from at the appellate level and above regarding torts, personal injury, civil procedure, evidence, and discovery. So attorneys can, uh, instead of reading for a couple hours on their way to work, listen to a, a CD or an MP3 of last month's most important cases and be current on the case law. And it's an annual subscription. And uh, it's really exciting. Uh, we have top-notch professors that put the summaries together, and, and it makes life really easy because they do a lot of extra research and cite a lot of other cases and connect all the dots. And then we keep a library online for attorneys to access whenever they want. But the most exciting part is we just went live online. It's been, we've been doing, Fins has been doing case summaries for 20 years. And Professor Fins, who I purchased, uh, he passed away a couple years ago, and I purchased the company from his widow, um, was very famous for doing these, these audio CDs. Well, congratulations. And, That's a very big career deal for you. Yeah, it's, and it's a great component because most of our live CLEs are skills-based programs teaching the skills you didn't get in law school, and these are case updates, so it's a nice compliment. Very, very nice. I, I like the synergy, and it sounds very practical and exciting. And with the onslaught of social media, it sounds like you could really have a ball with them. Yeah, definitely. So good for you. Okay, well, now we're going to go and talk about your favorite subject, which is public speaking and public speaking tips. But, of course, everything that we talked about at the beginning of the show is somewhat related. So it all makes sense and it's all transitional. And I'm going to ask you some of the basic questions that you and I have talked about and um, hear the Faith Pinkett's point of view. So, um, you know, let's talk about what everybody wants to know or what everybody is concerned about is making their own mistakes when they're about to do a public speaking engagement. So tell, share with us from your professional standpoint what the most common mistakes are that people make. I'd say that 
The two or three most common mistakes are waiting until the very last minute to prepare their presentation and not, and therefore, A2, not practicing. And then the third and biggest most common mistake is that a lot of people, especially professional people, uh, over the last 10 to 15 years, maybe 20, have developed this bizarre habit of creating their presentation in PowerPoint and then reading their presentation off of oh, PowerPoint. Isn't that so wrong? I mean, I yeah. hope that people really learn that that was wrong because it's so very publicized by, you know, a lot of the pundits out there, right. um, like their, you know, Gary Vanderchuk, et cetera, that, you know, you're... <laughs> you really, your visuals should be an accent, and right. they shouldn't be words. Exactly. And I, you know, I think that there was a time where that was actually okay, but it was before everything became so interactive. Yeah, you know, frankly, honestly, since I've been teaching public speaking even 20 years ago, I've always sort of hated uh, hated that option because it bores your audiences, and the bottom line is a visual aid is a visual Aid. It is not your presentation. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I think that's that's very very true. And people te- seem to lean on it like a crutch too. So what right. you have is speaker talking head reading what people in the room see on the board. Right. Exactly. And that's not engaging. And and people do that because they wait until the last minute. They don't practice and they don't put together an effective organized outline. And so that, like you said, it becomes a crutch. And then they make all the other mistakes related to PowerPoint, you know, turning their back on the audience and speaking to the screen and, you know, having bad type that people can't read that's too small and, and all of that. Yes, I, that is, <laughs> I, I hope that everybody hears this. And for those of you that really feel that it is, you know, a way for you to professionally engage people with the information that you're going to portray, it does not engage. It cuts the audience off. So don't do it. Thank you, Faith. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and there's a huge, as you know, a huge backlash against it. And people tweet about in the middle of conferences about how awful it is. And there's two terrific books on it that are pretty famous now, Presentation Zen and Slideology by uh, Gar Reynolds and by uh, Nancy Duarte. Well, it's, respectively. it's important. I um, try to convey this to people. Names will not be mentioned, but... Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know them personally. I have no connection with them. I've no, just no, no, read no. Them. I, I, I try to convey this to people who insist on doing this. Yeah. With the, you know, and it falls upon deaf ears, and that's principally because I think they're afraid. You know, when I talk to people about you have to stop with the long, you know, pedantic... Oh, yeah. um, you know, words on a board and looking at them, you know, yeah. they, there are people that are very afraid and they should perhaps maybe take a seminar with you. So. Well, <laughs> actually, there's a ton of presentation coaches out there and most of them, I don't know, you know, there, there's a lot of us out there, but you can learn from a presentation coach, you can read a book, you can um, join uh, some public associations that are like communities where you practice over and over, like Toastmasters, where they're nonprofit and they just you just practice together, and the more you practice, the better you get at it. That's one of the best ways to get over fear is to a prepare in advance because we're really just afraid of making a mistake or embarrassing ourselves or being seen as not knowledgeable enough. And the more you prepare and the more you practice, uh, either that particular speech or just practice getting up in front of people, the more you overcome your fear. I was, you know, 20 years ago, I was very afraid of public speaking, maybe 25 years ago. The first time I ever gave a speech, I was terrified. But now, you know, it's 
I, I'm more comfortable speaking in public than I am going to a networking event at dinner and introducing myself and networking. So well, you know, you become used to it, exactly. and it is practice, practice, practice. I, you know, I can't say that enough. I, you know, when people hear that I was once terrified to speak to groups, they're just you know, really surprised, but we all had our beginnings, right. and it's like riding a bicycle. It, yeah. You know, the more you the more you do it, the better you get, and you get to a comfort level where um, any topic that you're asked to speak about and you're knowledgeable about, you, you put together the outline. You don't even necessarily have to have a PowerPoint sometimes, and people receive it really, really well. I think that a PowerPoint is an exclamation point. Exactly. Um, and um, what people seem to really, really enjoy uh, is when you engage them and you make it a point to engage them. So you are involving them in the education process and they feel like they've been a part of it and they feel acknowledged. <laughs> exactly. What we call that is looking at your, your presentation as a conversation with your audience instead of a performance. And that way you can, and that also helps with the nerves, but that way you can engage them more, you can be more natural, you can have an outline that you know what you're going to talk about and it's organized, but you're not reading a presentation either off of a written out speech or notes. And that way you become more engaging with them both uh, verbally and, you know, physically, visually. You can make more eye contact. You can, because uh, eye contact and body language is another way that you can engage with your audience in addition to talking with them, asking questions, having them interact with you, that sort of thing. It's a, it's a, good, it's a, it's a good trick. Um, well, let's, so we're talking about mistakes. Any others? I mean, I, this was a really, really um, common mistake. Are there any others? A few of the more common mistakes are that all sort of fall from not being organized and not practicing are the tendency for speakers to say um every, you know, third word to ten words or five words. And that comes from not listening to yourself, not recording yourself and seeing that you do it. Once you recognize that you do it, you can get rid of the habit. And another tendency is for speakers to not pay enough attention to their delivery. So they either they speak way too fast to rush through it because they're so nervous, or they have a monotone and they just drone on. And either of those issues, or say they speak too soft or something along those lines, and any of those delivery issues will impact the audience's ability to stay interested with you and follow with you. Yes, I, I think that's very true. And listening to yourself is a very good way to monitor that, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, and usually what I say is these days you, you can either go out and get one of those little mini video cameras that are so cheap or you can video yourself with your cell phone or you can buy a little digital recorder. They all download directly to your laptop and then you, you know, watch it and listen to it. And if it's really hard to do, to do that, then grab a glass of wine or something. But you have to do it because that's when you're going to see what's going on and what's wrong. I used to start... Uh, presentations. I used to start a lot of different new topics with the word so, which is, is no different than saying um. It's just a, what we call a verbal pause. And when I saw that I was doing it, it was like, hmm, okay, not going to do that anymore. And you just get out of the habit of doing it. Right. Plus you see other things like you're not smiling. You've got, you know, if you do a videotape, you're, you know, things that are going on that you need to work, watch about your body language, whether you're open, whether you're pacing, things along those lines. 
But sometimes pacing can be used as an accent if you want to add some mobility. Oh, yeah. I actually strongly recommend movement when you can and getting up and not sitting down, even if you're on a panel, and using a lavalier mic, which is that mic that's attached to your suit or a head mic, versus being stranded or stuck at the podium or the table. The more you can remove barriers and move around and interact with your audience, the more responsive they're going to be, the more memorable your presentation will be. And even you can use pacing, as in the true pacing, for an effect, but you can't do pacing through an entire presentation without beginning to annoy your audience because then they think you're just sort of going crazy. <laughs> uh, no, you always have to come back to center, right? Yes. <laughs> you always have to, um, you know, have your center space and come back to it. Exactly. So, um, well, we have a couple more minutes left and we have a lot of questions. And next I'm going to talk to you about the best way to organize the speech. So do you want to do a little tease for that, Faith? Yeah, I, you know, I have a method, I just call it the Amy method, method, which is audience message and image, and under message we use, we tell people to organize their speech, pay attention to their body first, then uh, intro and conclusion, and there's a lot of tips on how to do a better introduction and a better conclusion, which is important when you organize your presentation. Okay, well listen, why don't we... Um, Come back and hear more about that after this commercial break and stand by for more. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of PR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. We left you a cliffhanger in the last segment, and we said how best to organize a speech. We had a little teaser from Faith Pincus, and why don't you talk again about your, your method, the Amy method. The Amy method is basically just an acronym so people can remember when they're creating their presentations to pay attention to the three different parts of a presentation or public speaking. And that's A for audience, pay attention to who your audience is, find out more about them, and then meet their needs, speak to what they want to hear about. 
Two is to pay attention to your message and create an organized and cohesive message. And then I, for Amy, with an I instead of Y, is image and delivery, and that's developing an interesting delivery style and making sure that your image is consistent and positive and professional or fits whatever image it is that you need for the type of presentations you do in your business. And as far as organizing goes, there's five basic steps to organizing a presentation. And I won't get into the details, but the steps are decide what your purpose or your top, your thesis is. What's the purpose of your presentation? What is it that they want to know about, number one? Number two, put together your supporting ideas, all the things that will help you discuss and communicate your message and your purpose, your thesis. Narrow, this is critical, narrow your presentation down to three main points. And a lot of people know about it, and a lot of people don't know about it. So people that took public speaking back in college will remember it, or that were in the military will remember the three main point, tell them what you're going to tell them. I'm sorry, the three main point concept where you, you know, organize things that way, uh, but not everybody does. And the reason why you do that instead of doing, like, the top ten reasons to in a presentation is it's simply easier for your audience to follow along if you organize your main ideas under three or maybe five main points. But I try to stick to three and tell people to do that. The fourth step is to organize it, to choose an actual organizational pattern, not to simply just throw it out there. And there are organizational patterns. You can organize your presentation chronologically, your three main points, or by topic. Topic would be, for example, my presentations. Audience, message, image is what, how I organize, and those are my three main points. You can't do a speech on public speaking chronologically. Problem solution is one way to organize a presentation, and another way to organize a presentation is compare and contrast. And the concept, of course, is think about how you want to present the, the, your message in an organized manner. And then the last step, of course, is creating your outline instead of writing out a speech or writing it out in PowerPoint, as we talked earlier. And when you create your outline, you create a full sentence outline, and then as you practice it, you narrow it down to just a few key words, maybe the quote that you want to cite or something like that, so that you can have that interactive, conversational presence and approach with your audience, and the outline becomes a guide to keep you on track, to keep you away from rambling and, and going off on tangents, yet allow you to make a lot of eye contact with your audience and be conversational with them. Yep, I think that's, those, are, those are good, engaging points. And what goes into an introduction? An introduction, people a lot of times don't pay much attention to their inter- introductions, but introductions serve an actual purpose. The, the reason you have an introduction and a presentation is to grab the audience's attention and make them curious about what you're speaking, to establish your credibility and your image, to connect with your audience, to clarify your purpose and preview your main points. So there's really, introductions should be short, five minutes, regardless of how long your presentation is, not 20 minutes of a 25-minute presentation, which sometimes speakers do. What goes in it are two things. One, your attention getter, and two, your preview of what it is you're going to talk about. And your attention getter can be anything from telling a story to starting with a statistic or a quote or a comparison or an anecdote or some humor, maybe a rhetorical question. What a lot of times people start presentations with saying, hi, my name is Faith Pincus and I'm here to talk to you about, or they'll start by saying, gee, thank you so-and-so for, for having us here and we're really happy and they go on and on about that. You can do that later in your presentation or at the very end of your introduction, but neither of those methods is a way to actually grab your audience's attention nor establish your own credibility. So you want to start 
with the attention getter, and then you want to put, put in your preview, which is the tell them what you're going to tell them. If you have to introduce yourself, which a lot of speakers find they have to do, after you give your attention getter, then introduce yourself, then give your preview. That way you're still grabbing people's attention first. Then you can talk a little bit about yourself, maybe tell people to tell their, turn their cell phones off, and then move on to your preview, and then transition directly into your presentation. Well, and interesting. The, what interests me is that um, when, you are inter- when you are a public speaker, there's generally a lot of information about you before the speech is even given. So it might be redundant to say, hi, I'm Cindy Rakowitz, because people, everybody knows it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You don't always need to introduce yourself. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. It really depends on where you're speaking, how they organized it, how they publicize it. If your bio is there and there's a long bio there, you don't need to go into it at all. Somebody's going to say, gee, this is, you know, Cindy Rakowitz and they're going to talk a little bit about you, and it's not only redundant, but it becomes sort of like, um, okay, get to the point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, faith, exactly. You know, I'm faith, and, you know, so you're absolutely right. You don't, there's some situations where you need to, uh, most situations you don't need to. No, I, and I think that's exactly right. I, it's, it's pretty obvious who you are, and yeah. you're really there to learn something. Let's yeah. talk about um, little other tips, like, you know, um, grabbing the audience's attention and tips for better delivery style. You know, for for grabbing the audience's attention, there there are a lot of proven methods. I like to use citing a quote, a quote, and then talking, applying the quote to the topic. A lot of people like to tell stories. Those are two really effective ways. You start by telling a story, especially say you're an attorney and you're doing an opening statement. You start by telling a story instead of uh, just citing off a law, which can be a little bit dry. So and it depends on in, I mean, any context in which you are, those types of starters will grab people's attention. Same with startling statistics. You rattle off one or two statistics that are like, wow. Uh, a lot of people like to tell a joke. The problem with telling a joke, telling a joke is fine as long as the joke relates to what it is you're talking about has some sort of moral and, uh, of course, is not offensive and is actually funny. <laughs> and not, that doesn't always happen, and then that's a bad way to start because people don't laugh and you're on the wrong foot. As far as delivery, I think you'd said, what, there's, there's two things that are really important for introductions and, and conclusions when you're dealing, you're thinking about your delivery, and they are make eye contact, direct eye contact with your audience throughout your entire introduction and your entire conclusion. There's nothing worse than a speaker that starts speaking and they're looking at their notes when they're telling their story or when they're mentioning their preview or, you know, I have a saying, you know, if if you don't know who you are and what it is you're about to talk about without having to look at your notes, you're in trouble and the audience isn't going to take you seriously. And And you need... The whole point of it is to have impact, and you can't have impact if you're not making eye contact. So what's the other option for delivery? Memorize your presentation, not your whole presentation, never, but you memorize your introduction and your conclusion so you can be making eye contact and connecting with your audience while you're starting your presentation and ending your presentation for the most impact at the beginning and at the end. And people remember the beginning and the end, the primacy recency theory. And that's another reason why you want to keep your introduction short, because it's really hard to memorize more than a few, a few minutes' worth of whatever it is you want to talk about. Well, Faith, one of the things that I realize in my years of watching public speakers is that if they aren't using notes, 
they really have that. Those are the speakers that are graded as the best speakers because they really know their stuff. And I don't want to intimidate speakers that might not be, you know, as uh, knowledgeable or as experienced as some of the other speakers that I've seen. But the most effective speakers are the ones that don't have notes at all. They might have an outline in front of them, or they might have their, you know, iPad in front of them. Now it used to be index cards. Right. <laughs> uh, but really, that those were just there as prompters mm-hmm. rather than things that had to be there. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that seem to go down in history as being the best public speakers. Christy Hefner is one of them, and I worked for Playboy for 16 years as their chief marketing officer, so I, you know, I knew her speech patterns well and every single solitary gig that she spoke at. And she was just known for being incredible because she knew her subject matter inside and out, just inside and out, and she would study it if she wasn't as familiar with a particular topic, but if it had to do with Playboy Enterprises, Inc., she would make it her business to be extremely knowledgeable. Of course, because she knew the company so well, she always had something to go back on um, to use as her, her talk base, for lack of a better description. But it was the people who seem to be the most engaging are the ones that really don't have the notes in front of them or don't feel that they don't feel compelled that they have to use them very often. And I may be wrong, but that w- I'm just expressing my experience and opinion. Right. Yeah, you know, and when I say notes, I really mean a keyword outline that shouldn't be more than a few pages depending on what you're talking about. Exact- you're exactly right as far as outlines go and presence in public speaking, the outline is there basically to keep you on track, and that's it, to remind you what it is you want to talk about and to keep you from wandering and to keep you, you know, organized. But the the best way to have a presence and engage is to know your topic inside and out and to be able to speak with it with as little reference to your outline and notes as possible. But that takes a lot of time and a lot of experience and not and and the best speakers you'll see tend to be people that speak a lot on that particular topic. So they do know it inside and out or as you just mentioned with Christy Hefner, they take the time to know it. Some speaking situations you have that luxury and that time and some you don't, but it boils down to knowing it inside and out, whether you're a lawyer and you need to know your case inside and out or you're a motivational speaker and you need to get up there without any notes at all and just wow your audience. Uh, You have to know it inside and out and you have to be organized. It doesn't do you any good if you know it inside and out and you're not organized and you ramble all over the place, but you're absolutely right. And that's about what you and I were talking about earlier, which is connecting with your audience. And you can't do that if you're relying on notes and reading off of, you know, big, long speeches and written-out speeches and things along the li- those lines. I still have people who try to, to teach at a CLE program, and they read a written-out speech, despite, you know, sending them the public speaking DVD for free and things along those lines. And they get slammed every single time in the evaluations. Audiences don't want to hear or watch that. And frankly, unless you've got a teleprompter, and you know how to use it, and we know that nobody has teleprompters except presidents and huge, huge conferences... You just don't want to go that route. Well, I think that's very true. I'm gonna, we're going to wrap up this next segment. And in the last segment, Faith, there's, there's a very, very important topic that I really want to focus on and concentrate on, which is the best way to handle hostile questions because I think that there are, there are many techniques. We 
you know, we address that when we media train um, clients as well. And people, if people know some of the tips there, they might, be, they might avoid being nervous about those hostile questions mm-hmm. because there are techniques, of course, to, you know, kind of deflate the impact and, um, you know, bridge and transition in ways that those questions might not seem so hostile once they are answered. Right. <laughs> so we're very excited to hear about that. I think that on the most part from the first couple of segments, um, I would I would surmise that you don't recommend writing out your speech word for word unless it's for your own internal use. I, I would never write it out word for I word. I didn't think so. No. Well, let's let's come back after this commercial break, and um, we'll finish up with Faith Finkus. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn sales into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. We're in our final segment with Faith Pincus, and we've learned a lot about public speaking, so if you're just tuning in now, please be sure to go back to the top of the show so you can hear lots of tips about public speaking and learn a little bit about continuing legal education or CLE. Um, it's a very helpful show, particularly for those of you that have um, concerns about public speaking and want to get over it and I think the show would be very, very helpful. Faith, I mentioned at the end of the last segment that I think that my listeners would be interested to hear about handling those hostile questions. So what is the pinkest approach? You know, my approach is, is 
similar to a lot of other people's approach, and it's born from my political background because I used to run political campaigns, so we used to deal a lot <laughs> with a lot of hostile questions. There's a few things. Uh, one, and most importantly, when you get a question from anyone in the audience, but especially a hostile question, you answer the question to the entire audience. You don't look at the person who asked the question, and then you answer the question and you move on. You don't look back at the person and, you know, ask the, either looking back at them, which then invites them to ask another question that's more hostile, or to comment on your question, and you don't ask them, did that answer your question? You simply answer the question, move on to the next question or to the next topic, keep on speaking, and don't give them the opportunity to butt in again. And that's sort of the, the basic number one thing to do, not making eye contact with them. The, if somebody's persistent about it, there's a couple ways to deal with it. A lot of audiences will take care of it themselves if somebody's obnoxious. They'll shush the person, especially if it's an audience where they're all from the same you know, firm or company. It's a training program or something along those lines. Or they're all you know, attorneys at a bar association because they know each other. So that's sometimes you can let the audience do it, but you can't ignore a hostile questioner for very long because then you start to lose credibility and the audience can't stand it. And they think, you know, why aren't you handling this? So one other way you can do it is if somebody asks a hostile question or keeps asking a hostile question, even after you've ignored them and moved on and answered the first question, is that you acknowledge them and say, you know, I understand you have some questions about different topics or whatever it is or mention the topic and say, but I need to move on right now based on our timeline. Can you write that question down and come see me at the break? And a lot of times that takes care of it because it acknowledges them and they and it shuts them up because you've now given them something to do and if they keep asking a question, they're really going to look like a jerk and then they'll come see you on the break or they won't come see you on the break. Sometimes if it's really bad and you're at an event, not like a press conference, this is not related to interviews or, or press-related stuff. Right, it's right. A different interview. Um, sometimes if it's really bad, what you want to do is, uh, well, there's a couple things. Another one is you walk near them or stand near them. People do it uh, because there's anonymity associated with it, and they can think they can be funny and whatever. As you walk into the audience, if you have that opportunity and stand near them, you draw the entire audience's attention towards that person, and that will usually get them to shut up, but not always. The next step is you call a break, and then you either, um, you've got two options. You can either ask, you know, confront them politely and nicely and ask them to just write their questions down or leave, or you, my preference is to go to the organizer and tell the organizer that they need to handle it, but it just depends on the situation and how bad it is. Usually it doesn't get super bad. There have been, you know, sometimes you can just talk over the person after they, you know, as soon as they, there's a breath or there's no breath and you say, you know, we really need to move on and, and I appreciate, but blah, 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 and keep on going and, and there you go. Yeah, I, I call security. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> breaks are really good. Let's take a break because then you break their momentum. You well, know, let's take a five-minute break here. Those are really, really, really great tips. Usually uh, I've seen people handle it or I've handled it and saying, you know what, that's a really interesting point. Can we talk about that offline right. after this particular because there's a lot of information to get in for a lot of other people. So. Exactly. You know, but there's ways to handle it. There's ways to diffuse it. Yeah. And people should not fear it because it's not a personal reflection on the speaker. It is just the personality wanting to get their own um, spotlight. Exactly. And people, speakers shouldn't take it personally or worry too much about it. And there's 
there's not just hostile questions. Sometimes there's just the person that's one of those people that has to take over and ask a million questions and mainly comment and not ask a question. And those happen a lot at CLEs or training programs. There's always that one person that's, oh, me, me. And those you have to shut down right away because the audience just cannot stand it when uh, another audience member takes over. No, and how many times have you been at a small gathering where a person, and there's not much time for the main speaker to deliver, and that same person over and over again, what happens in the room is very, very interesting because people start rolling their eyes. Yep. <laughs> they start tapping their fingers or banging on the desk. Yeah, and the, and the people that are doing it are totally oblivious to it. They're really narcissistic. It's It's an interesting you know, interesting social factor, but what happens in that context is the speaker then begins to, and the organization putting on the program begins to lose credibility, and they will get slammed in if, if there are evaluations. I've seen it happen, so we now have a standard, you know, method of dealing with it that we teach all of our speakers, which is exactly what I said. You do, what, and what you said, you acknowledge them, that's an interesting question, let's talk about it on the break, and let's move on. And they're, you know, or if I know it's, we're going to have a huge audience, and we can't deal with somebody doing that, we'll do questions via written cards and have somebody moderate it, which is not my favorite thing to do, but it does, when you've got 200 people, help you control the audience when you've got a tight timeline. Of course, and I was going to ask you what you suggested in terms of the best time for questions. Uh, you know, that, that's a really great question. <laughs> uh, there's two things you can do. The best time for questions depend entirely on the speaker's comfortableness with their their topic and their ability to control the audience and stay on time and their experience. So the best time is usually at certain breaks throughout the presentation because then it's more interactive and it's less of a I'm talking to you, it's a let's discuss and you can reach topics throughout the whole thing and clarify moments. And it's just a great teaching technique. I However, love if that. If people can do that and feel yeah. comfortable enough to do that, yeah. The best grades that I've seen for public speakers or for myself when I do public speaking is when I, when the speaker feels confident enough to have enough control of the time and to keep things on topic, but has the confidence throughout the public speaking engagement to say, yes, is, is there one question? What, what point did you want to make on that? Okay, now I'm going to go back. Right, because then exactly. there's not this anxiousness to slam in those questions at the end when they probably won't be the time for it to be answered unless it's purposefully allocated. Exactly. And it also, I find that a lot of the speakers become more animated and more in tune with their audience when they're answering questions, uh, less, when I'm, especially when you're dealing with a less experienced speaker that doesn't, that's not like a motivational speaker that's already animated and knows their stuff because then they're off script a bit more, so they're more engaging. The other option, of course, answering towards the end, there's a couple things to do, and there's something that I've been advocating for years, and you don't see it often, but instead of taking the questions after you conclude, you want to, right before you do your conclusion, and your conclusion should be as impressive as your introduction, it should, you should incorporate your attention-getting device and reiterate your three main points and end with some sort of impact, some way to either ask them to do something or think or whatever it is, but you want, to, you want to say, before I conclude, I have time for one question, two questions, three questions. Don't take a lot of questions because hopefully you've taken them throughout. 
But if you haven't, say, I have time for two or three questions, and then I will say afterwards for as many questions as you have, and you have my contact information, email me or call me anytime if you have additional questions. Then take the couple questions, be very mindful of your time so you make sure that you leave enough time for that, and then do your conclusion, because what happens is you then conclude on a strong note instead of standing there going, any more questions, any more questions? Right. No, that's horrible because you're playing ping pong with somebody that's not there. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so you don't force yourself to be, and then you don't have that silence because what if you answered all the questions? But, you know, some people then get uncomfortable if there aren't any questions. So it's much easier to deal with it. If there's silence, well, great. Looks like I answered all the questions. Well, let's get going. And then you conclude and you get to end with that, you know, that powerful quote or the statistic or the, uh, the, whatever it is, the motivational uh, component to your presentation that gets people thinking afterwards. And it's a much more powerful, impactful way uh, and more memorable way to end your presentation than the standard, more questions, please. Well, Faith, you've been really a great guest in addressing this topic. Todd, I want to say again that Todd Moster spoke the world of you, and now I know why. (laughs) You're very engaging, entertaining, knowledgeable, and um, I can see why people want to hear you talk. So, Thank you, Cindy. You asked great questions, so it was a really fun interview. I appreciate it. Well, it was a pleasure to have you, Faith Pincus, Pincus Professional Education, Fence Advanced Tapes. Congratulations on your purchase of that company. And um, you want to throw out your website? Oh, thanks. Uh, it's com. That's P-I-N as in Nancy, C-U-S-P-R-O-E-D.com. Very, very good. The link for the show should be available to download for yourself and for my listeners as soon as tomorrow afternoon. So look for www.voiceamerica.com or brpublicrelations.com. And you'll be able to download this particular show. Great, and I'll put it up on my blog too. I know. You're very courteous that way, Faith. <laughs> I can't wait to meet you soon one day. Me too. Thanks All right, a lot, you Cindy. take care and have a great weekend, everybody. Californians, be careful of Carmageddon. Do not go on the 405 because you know that they're working on it this weekend. Stay away and um, let them do their work. So maybe we'll have a little bit of ease when we're driving from the valley to the west side, etc. Everybody take care and be safe. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. Bye, I'm an American. I-